Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Today on Let Me Be Frank, Bishop Caggiano talks to Sean Callahan, the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. So keep your radio dialed to 1350 AM for today's show and keep it dialed in throughout the week. If you're tired of listening to noise on the radio, now you have a place to be fed. So keep 1350 Veritas Catholic Network on your dial or download the Veritas Catholic Network app on your phone. Either way, you can listen to uplifting conversations, learn more about the faith, participate in spiritual devotions, all of this on the app. You can also get podcasts of our shows. We are Catholic Radio for Connecticut and New York. Take us with you wherever you go. The app is available on the Apple App Store, the Google Play Store, or you can visit www.veritascatholic.com. Hey there, this is Steve Lee with Veritas Catholic Network. Let me begin, as always, by welcoming you to Let Me Be Frank, featuring the great Bishop Frank Caggiano. Steve, it's always good to be with you, and today we have a great guest. Yes, yes, definitely. We are our special guest on uh, on this week's episode of Let Me Be Frank, Sean Callahan. He's the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services, the official international humanitarian agency of the Catholic community in the United States. Sean is a 31-year agency veteran who has held a wide variety of leadership roles overseas and at agency headquarters in Baltimore. Welcome to the show, Sean. I know you and Bishop Caggiano already know each other very well. Yes, thanks, Steve, yeah. and uh, thanks, Bishop. Yeah, Sean, welcome, welcome. I, I have the great privilege of working with Sean um, a, just about a year and a half ago. Um, I was given the uh, the great honor of serving on the board of CRS as its chair, and I must tell you, I have been extraordinarily impressed, Sean, with your with your vision, your leadership, and 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 the fact that you see your entire ministry as a ministry, right, at CRS. So part of what I would like to do is is give you an opportunity to, um, besides welcoming you, is to give to our listeners who may not know CRS, that may not know the ins and outs, just give us like the general sense of what is CRS and what does it do? Let's start with that. Terrific. Well, the vision of CRS is is really uh, solidarity between the U.S. Catholic Church and the Catholic Church around the world. Um, And CRS's mission is really to save, protect and transform lives. And the way we do that, quite frankly, is um, through access and opportunity. Uh, Our teams are on the ground around the world working with local church um, and civil society actors, as well now more and more governments. Uh, and we're providing the opportunity uh, for people to have access to resources or technical skills so that they can respond uh, to their daily needs and to the crises that they face in many of these countries. Mm-hmm. And I think most most of our listeners perhaps do not appreciate how large an operation CRS is. Perhaps you could speak to that? Sure. CRS uh, works in over 100 countries around the world, and we have uh, uh, close to 7,000 staff, um, and we, we, we have offices in many of these countries. So we have colleagues who are in those offices reaching out and responding to such things as earthquakes and tsunamis and, and things like that on the emergency front. 
assisting and responding to emergencies such as wars and uh, violent conflicts that, that occur or uh, hunger uh, issues. And quite, you know, in today's day and age, the pandemic is obviously a big issue. Oh, without a doubt, without a doubt. And um, what impresses me, well, many things impress me about CRS. But one, one of the things that's very, in, in my perspective, really is, is heart moving, is, is really um, brings home the mission, is when we have the opportunity to hear stories on the local level of how CRS transforms lives. And I know this year in the Rice Bowl collection, we've highlighted a few places around the world. So can you share with our, with our listeners and, and remind me as well, um, some of the local initiatives that are going on in different parts of the world so we can give some, like say, a flesh to the bones of what we're talking about? Certainly. Uh- you know, right now, as we face the, the pandemic ar- around the world, one of the key things uh, that we're facing is what we call shadow pandemic. So in many of the places in which we work, there's a hunger crisis, because unlike many of us who can go to a grocery store and work online, we've got people who are what we call daily wage earners. So they have to go out and earn a living you know, every day. Um, and so one of the key things right now is we have teams on the ground that are helping support people with food insecurity in places like Ethiopia. Uh, there's currently a violent conflict in the north in, in a province called Tigray. Uh, and in that region, um, we have just been asked to increase our caseload. Um, we were going to be assisting 2.5 million people there with our church partners, the church in Tigray and Meki and Addis Ababa and, and many of the different uh, areas throughout Ethiopia. Um, and we've just been asked to, to up that to 3.85, close to 4 million people uh, now are, are in dire need of food resources. And so on a daily basis, our teams are going out there negotiating with security uh, people in various areas uh, and trying to bridge the gap uh, between that humanitarian response uh, and just keeping our staff safe. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of our our listeners would also um, perhaps don't realize, but when CRS goes into a, a country or an area, it really does in collaboration with invitation by the bishops of that area. Is that not the case? It, it is the case. And, and actually, you know, I began my career in, uh, in Nicaragua uh, during the wartime there. Uh, and right after I arrived uh, in Nicaragua, it was hit um, in 1988, so over 30 years ago, uh, it was hit by a hurricane called Hurricane Juana. And I went out there with a Capuchin bishop who's actually uh, was the bishop of uh, the Vicariate of Bluefields, the Vicariate of Bluefields out on the Atlantic coast. And we worked together, and I, w- I was really taken um, uh, by, I, I joined this big room of young men, um, and I found out that they were all priests. They were, you know, in dirty shirts and things because they were helping people to rebuild their homes. And there was a mix of the American missionaries with the local Nicaraguans. And just that unity together was, was really, um, you know, uh, a heartfelt uh, collaboration and solidarity of the U.S. church uh, with the overseas church. And then in today's day and age, I, I mentioned Ethiopia, and then we, we also have, there's a conflict in Myanmar, uh, and we've been back and forth with our local church partners uh, trying to figure out how best to respond, and they uh, have appreciated our closeness and our collaboration. And so 
they provide information to us so that we can respond a little bit better, both in our advocacy efforts uh, as, as well as our direct interventions in those countries. So as, as a Catholic Relief Services, we only go into countries where we're invited in by the local church. So we are there at the invitation of the local church and work quite closely with them. And, and in places where the church is a minority, such as in, in some of the Sahel countries in Africa, like Niger, uh, we work closely with the two bishops, but we also spread that out and spread the, the goodness and the compassion of the Catholic Church with the bishops that are there uh, and, uh, and the small number of Catholics, less than 5,000, uh, to the local population so they can see that the Catholic Church is there for all people, that universality mm -hmm. of Catholicism. Mm -hmm. And, and, and so CRS really is an act of solidarity. It is, it is a, uh, as you said at the very beginning, it's a ministry of solidarity of the larger church joining forces to aid a particular part of the church that happens to be in need, whether it's through natural catastrophe or war, or just the, the need to help sustain development, right, for the citizens of the area. So I think... I, Many people don't realize it's an ecclesial reality, CRS, in that, in that sense. Right? It's true solidarity, as the church has always wanted um, its members to understand. We are all in this together, right, as one church. Exactly, um, exactly. And, and yeah. you know, the Holy Father ha has asked us to, uh, to reach out, you know, and to be out there in, the, in those, uh, you know, that uh, field hospital out with the people. And so... Here we are as the American church side by side with the local church. And the thing that I love most about CRS is when I go out there and I'm with the bishop and he says to me, I can't tell the difference between your staff and my staff. And I reach my hand over and say, thank you, bishop. That's the best compliment I've had all day. Mm -hmm. That's tremendous. So tell us, when did CRS start? How did it start? So CRS was a, a response uh, to World War II. Um, there were, the military was uh, responding to the needs after World War II, and they decided that, um, that those who were fighting in the war might not be the best to provide relief and assistance, particularly to refugees. So uh, CRS jumped in uh, and started providing assistance to refugees and helping them relocate from their war-torn uh, countries. And many people who didn't feel the security to go back to their countries. So we actually started by assisting some of the Polish refugees who had migrated to Russia um, and we resettled them in Mexico because at that point, uh, even after the war, uh, the US was concerned about additional migrants coming into the country. So we ended up starting out by, um, by settling uh, Polish refugees uh, in Mexico. And it was interesting, we're, we're now about 77 years old. We were starting in 1943. And I went with one of those uh, former refugees. He was a young boy at the time, uh, four years old, and he came over, his father died in the Gulag um, in Russia at that time. And he came over uh, to Mexico and we visited a couple of years back uh, the place in Mexico. And as I was introducing him to uh, the bishop there in Mexico, where we when we were doing the visit, um, I I introduced him in Spanish, and then the the Mexican bishop actually sp started speaking Polish to him to really show the universality of the church, wow. and he just broke broke down in tears to see that, 
Uh, and this gentleman now uh, has migrated from Mexico. He came to the United States. He served in our military. Um, he's an active member of the church, uh, and he's now a CRS supporter. And so he he just wanted people to know that this is the history of this organization and how when we work together, um, we really can you know save and transform the lives of people. You know, what a great insight uh, for all of us to remember that at the beginning, CRS had a European focus, right, coming out of the war. And now as Europe has recovered all of these almost eight decades, um, we our focus shifts where there is other need, but it's it's a global mission, right? And 70 years from now, when we are all gone, who knows what the focus where CRS will be. The fact that there will be a CRS, I have no doubt. But where the focus is, only only the Holy Spirit will reveal that in time. The church goes where there is need in the end, right? Um, exactly. So, so you've been in, you've been over thirty years at CRS. I have been. I have been. And and Bishop, just to, to talk on that global mission, I, I would just like to to jump in there and and say, although Please. we're not as active um, in Europe as we have been in the past, and a lot of our focus is now more on Africa, you know, and some efforts in Latin America and the Middle East, where the Holy Father, you know, landed uh, today mm-hmm. in Iraq and places like that. Um, we have gone back into Europe, and and during the refugee crisis, uh, we were assisting. Uh, in the Balkans and assisting populations who were traversing mm-hmm. through. Um, when Ukraine was attacked by Russia, we went in there to, with, you know, to support Caritas Ukraine. Uh, and we have an office in Greece right now because of refugees coming out of uh, Iraq and Syria. And so uh, although our genesis was helping in Europe, we partner with the Europeans and continue that relationship. Um, but the relationship um, with some of our, our partners in Africa, Asia, and Latin America has, has grown even larger than it was, you know, years right. ago. Right, right. And, and just to state the obvious, um, there are initiatives underway wh- which are very delicate given the situations that CRS finds itself in. Um, oftentimes, CRS is the first to be called in the very situations that you are referring to, that you know, we could not really speak to great detail without compromising the security of the individuals involved. So everything we speak of, our listeners should understand there is much more at work that perhaps we can't explain in any great detail. Is that a fair statement, Sean? It, it is, it is, and it, it's unfortunate, but in order to, to protect uh, the local church, in order to protect our teams on the ground, we often do things uh, very quietly and you know through back channels and don't make a lot of declarative statements. We certainly you know promote the justice and the teachings of the church wherever we go, and we're in solidarity with that local church. Uh, but sometimes that m- might mean that we have to do that quietly um, and, and not on the public realm, so that we can actually um, make that difference on the ground and save and protect those lives. Exactly right. Yeah, exactly right. So tell me, um, some of some of the more exotic places you have visited in your career at CRS. What would you consider to be the more interesting? I call it exotic, but perhaps not the right word. Interesting, thought provoking, memorable. Give us some vignettes, some personal stories, Sean. Yeah, you know, I would probably have to say, uh, and my wife would probably kill me if I didn't mention it, but, uh, you know, I, I had worked in Latin America and then I was in Africa. And when I was in Sierra Leone in Africa during a wartime, I got a call 
um, from our headquarters and they said, how about Calcutta? And I thought, Calcutta, wow. I didn't know anything about Calcutta. I thought, you know, I said, you know, all I can tell you about Calcutta is Mother Teresa and the black hole of Calcutta. And they said, well, that's why we'd like you to go there. We want you to work with Mother Teresa. So, you know, lo and behold, um, I was on a plane and, and I went to Calcutta and then I, you know, was blessed to have the opportunity to work with Mother Teresa and, and the missionaries of charity. Um, and just seeing uh, that mission on the ground firsthand, uh, every weekend I would spend going to a new center of the missionaries of charity so I could really understand their charism and on how they worked. Um, and just visiting with Mother Teresa and seeing the joy that she and the sisters had. Um, you know, there was one experience I had where I worked in the Center for the Dying in a place called Kaligat. And it was a home that Mother Teresa developed right next to a Hindu temple. And people came out and protested that you had this care center for the sick and dying right next to a holy shrine and that that was inappropriate because these people were dirty. And uh, the police came and the police commissioner went in and he said, I'll take care of this. And he went in and then mother came in and she met with this police commissioner and he was gone for about a half hour and the crowd was starting to grow unruly. And when he came out, he said, I'm going to throw them out of here. And everybody cheered. And he said, as soon as your mother and your sister and your brother replace the sisters and assist these people, I will throw them out. And everybody put their heads down and walked away. And I, I remember my, my first time serving in the Kali got in that center for the dying. And I was tr treating a young man uh, who was very ill. He was just skin and bones and I was feeding him. And then I'd, I'd lift him up and bring him to the facilities. And then the missionary brothers would bathe him and I'd bring him back and feed him. And when I came back at one point, uh, he was not moving. And I went to the sister and I said, sister, I, I've got a problem. I think he's not moving. And, you know, she looked at me and she said, uh, well, you're so lucky. And I said, I don't feel that lucky, sister. And she said, you were with him when he went to God. His, your face was the last thing he saw on earth. And it was something, someone who was caring for him, who was nurturing him and who really loved him. And so it was that mystique that uh, that for me, you know, will always be in my my heart that uh, even in those most difficult circumstances and even where the church is a minority, it's still serving that mission of love and compassion to people. And so Calcutta became that place for me. And the reason why I said my my wife would kill me, I, I ended up meeting my wife in Calcutta and we got married. So Calcutta is now my second home. And so I Whenever we go back to visit family, I also visit family at the Missionaries of Charity Mother House there as well. Is that right? What a stupendous story. That is so beautiful. Beautiful. And to work well, with a saint, my God, what a privilege, right? It, it, it was incredible. You know, when I, I at one point I had a couple of colleagues from our headquarters come and visit me and they were saying, do you think there's any chance that, you know, we can visit Mother Teresa or see her? Is she in town? And right as they started talking, all of a sudden my phone rang and I picked it up. And the way I responded to Mother was always, yes, Mother, yes, Mother, yes, Mother, yes, Mother. And they were, they were kind of, you know, doing a, uh, 
a little dance in front of me going, is that Mother Teresa and all? And she had she was asking if I would uh, get some trucks of food uh, because the sisters in Bangladesh, you know, needed food. And I said, yes, mother, yes, mother, yes, mother. I could get the trucks, but I can't get them out of India because uh, this is donated to India and you'd have to get permission from the government to do that. And, you know, mother didn't ever take no for an answer. She said, well, can you have the trucks here by can you have the trucks here by 2 p.m.? And I said, I can get that done. And she said, meet me at two. So I, I rushed down, get all these trucks loaded up. We bring them over and I go over to meet Mother Teresa at, at 2 p.m. And she's got six sisters with her. And uh, she said, are we ready to go? And I said, we need those papers. And uh, she has she says, sister and another sister comes over and she hands me the papers that are approving getting this uh, across the border. You know, India was known as uh, as the place that perfected bureaucracy. They say the British invented it, but India perfected it. And I thought it would take weeks to get those papers Somehow, another miracle of Mother Teresa was she could, you know, grease those skids. Uh, But then I said, I said, I asked her what the sisters were doing here. I said, we've got the truck drivers. And she said, she said, I'd like the sisters uh, to be in the first six trucks. And I said, I said, okay, Mother, you know, Uh, and we sent the trucks on. And then uh, the truckers radioed back that when they got to the border, because of the um, flooding that had occurred, the trucks were backed up and there was a thousand trucks at the border, if you can imagine, between Bangladesh and India there. And as they got up in the back of that line, the first truck driver looked, uh, you know, started to pull over to the side and the sister uh, shook her finger and said, no, go around them. And he said, I can't go around them. And she said, just please go. And he did. And they started going around. And as they went down, everyone was looking at these trucks going by them and cutting in line. And finally, some of the truckers ended up stopping and they started pulling out the truck driver out of the truck. And as he was being pulled out, he just pointed over at the sister in the front of the truck and everyone let them go, let them go to the front of the line. And they all went into Bangladesh and served the sisters there with, you know, another miracle. I'll tell you, it was incredible. So Working with a saint is, you know, uh, one of the most fun things you can do because that just that joy that they bring to the work that they do. You know what, Sean? Saints can do with with the rest of us. Mere mortals cannot do. Right. You realize that. (laughs) And what a remarkable thing. But now, Sean, listen, we have a few minutes before our break. So the Holy Father is in Iraq, as you mentioned. And as we're taping this, he's he arrived earlier this morning. And it is certainly a perilous journey personally for him. But nonetheless, it is a sign. uh, It's a trip that's given tremendous hope to a country that has just seen so much war and destruction. Um, Just speak very briefly to CRS's presence in the Middle East and how it is of help to the countries in the Middle East. So, so CRS um, maintained a presence, uh, and, and the Holy Father's in Iraq, and in, in the Middle East, we've maintained a presence there uh, during all of these crises. And our colleagues on the ground have lurked, worked closely with the church in Baghdad and in Erbil, where the Holy Father will go. Um, I know when I went to visit them, you know, there was many different checkpoints that we had to go through. We met with the nuncio. There was some real horrible uh, massacres in churches there. The Islamic State uh, had taken over in areas, and 
as we were traveling in one of the areas, I said, why are we going this way as opposed to the straighter road? Um, and I was told that 25 kilometers in that direction was ISIS. And if we went in that direction, you know, we may, you know, hit with ISIS. And, and we just saw the Azidi community uh, and the others and the Catholic Church, um, you know, with support from CRS was doing the best that it could respond. And so seeing the Holy Father there, having his presence there is really uh, not only an example of solidarity, but an example of hope. And I, and I think that's what our presence provides in many areas, is that hope that people are not forgotten and that the U.S. Catholic Church um, is there on its mission and we can get word out and that people in the United States will pray for you, they'll give alms for you, um, and they will advocate for you. And so it really helps people around the world um, gain their voice um, and become stronger. Excellency and Sean, let me just jump in here quickly for a break. Uh, you are listening to Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. And Bishop Caggiano today is speaking with Sean Callahan, the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. We'll be back after this break. Catholic Radio works, and now we have it here in Connecticut and New York. It's been seen around the country that there's no better tool for evangelization. Where there's Catholic Radio, the folks who listen deepen their faith, families are strengthened, parishes and communities flourish. So, let people know you're listening to Veritas. Tell your friends to tune in, and let's make an impact here for Jesus and his church. This is Steve Lee for Veritas Catholic Network. Welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. Uh, we're picking up on a conversation between Bishop Caggiano and Sean Callahan, the president and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. Sean, you just uh, you just started to tell an incredible story on the, when we were on break, and uh, you should definitely start off with that for this segment. Thanks, Steve. I, I was just mentioning uh, to, to the bishop that it's, it's one of the blessings that we have at, at CRS and working for the global church to actually meet saints. And I had the opportunity with Mother Teresa, but then I got a call one day um, when I was working in our headquarters before going out uh, to, to my new, new assignment in India. Um, and uh, th I was asked to join the Asian Bishop Synod. So I, I went out there, um, participated in the Synod. And then at one point um, later one evening, uh, the cardinal in charge of the synod, Cardinal Schotte, said, um, how would you like to have dinner with the Holy Father, uh, John Paul II? And I said, I'd love to have dinner with the Holy Father. And I said, <laughs> I, is, this, is, is this for real? And he said, yeah, be at the bronze door at six. And so I went to the bronze door. We were escorted up to uh, his apartment and there were, there were six of us there. Each of us got a moment uh, with the Holy Father outside of his chapel uh, to just talk. Uh, and then we, we got to have dinner with him. And, and it was amazing, um, you know, his understanding of world events. And because this was the Asian Synod, we were focusing mainly on Asia. Um, and, and he had the voices of the, the local communities from Asia, a few, few other priests that were there. Um, and then, then he asked me as, as an American what we could do to assist the people of Asia and what we were doing as a ministry of the U.S. Catholic Church. And so... Uh, that was, you know, an incredible experience. And then uh, when uh, Mother Teresa was uh, being canonized, uh, I happened to be with Sister Nirmala, uh, her, her replacement as, as the Mother Superior, 
uh, in a church in Delhi, and the Holy Father came right over to Sister Nirmala, and I was uh, kind of sheltering her from this crowd that was, you know, pushing on in, uh, and the Holy Father greeted us again. And so I, I really feel that our team on the ground, you know, is so courageous uh, in reaching out to people in their time of need uh, and in very difficult situations. And these saints of the church are the ones uh, that provide us that inspiration and the protection that we that we have as we go out there. And so, um, you know, I really feel like we've been blessed by those opportunities. Yeah. And solidarity, if I may say, as Mother exactly. Teresa stood shoulder to shoulder with the exact same work. Right. Uh, Sean, for I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with the Rice Bowl initiative. But would you would you explain its purpose and and give some people uh, some of the background, why it's so important to CRS? Certainly. The the Rice Bowl is one of our um, our, our kind of iconic things here at, at CRS, and, and we're, we're so proud of it. Uh, the CRS Rice Bowl is a way that um, we can uh, pray, give alms, and provide a connection and support to people around the world. And we usually focus um, on different areas of the world. Uh, this year, we're focusing on uh, Madagascar and El Salvador and Mali. And and it's a learning program where, which brings families together so that families can share um, the different information and ideas and understand that our church is just not the church around the corner. It's just not our neighborhood church. It's not just the church in our state or in the U.S., but we're part of a global community, and we have a responsibility um, for that community around the world. And, and I think at this time where we've seen COVID and understand that what happens in one part of the world affects us in our own world, I think people are beginning to realize that a little bit more. And the idea behind uh, the Rice Bowl, and I didn't really realize it myself until I arrived in Calcutta um, and, and was at Christ the King Church uh, in Calcutta. And when I went to my mass there uh, during Lent, I noticed all these green bowls that were up front at the altar. And what they did in Calcutta uh, was in the tradition there was you feed your family, but you scoop out a handful of rice for your neighbors or people that don't have enough food to eat. And so it's that giving to others of what you have, that sacrificial gift of part of what would sustain you that you give to other people that they actually uh, termed it, it makes your family stronger and bonds your family. And so we at CRS try to emulate that um, by sending our paper rice bowls around the country, but it's a way to unite families around the cause of giving to others and bringing families together and strengthening uh, their spirituality, their faith in the Catholic Church, but also our social fabric that we are one human family around the world. And so I, I appreciate you raising that because at Lent, it's been difficult for us to always get that word out as many churches are not at full capacity now. But I think it's important that the Catholic community here know that the efforts that they make in supporting that not only help people overseas through CRS, but 25% of the receipts of that help in our local communities as well. And it allows the diocese uh, to reach out to those in need in our own communities. Mm -hmm. So if I am a parishioner who, for whatever reason, cannot go to mass, um, where would I get information for the rice bowl? Would I go on this on the CRS website? 
You can definitely go on, you know, the CRS website, which is www.crs.org, or there's a specific one for the Rice Bowl, which is uh, crsricebowl.org. And if you want to see some of the virtual events that we're doing at crsricebowl.org backslash virtual events, um, people can actually participate in virtual events with others uh, and see how different people in the United States are celebrating, and they can see how their donations are working to strengthen the, the uh, people overseas who are in need. So now, my friends, you you raised the million-dollar word, virtual, okay? We're in this pe- crazy pandemic time, right? And quite frankly, a time of tremendous challenge, tremendous suffering. Uh, most of your work, has been traveling to different parts of the world, right? And much of that ground to a halt in the last year. And I know managing 7,000 people in 100 plus countries in a time of pandemic, I mean, in normal times, it's a challenge. In pandemic times, it's a huge challenge. So talk to us uh, uh, programmatically, personally, this pandemic, how have you managed CRS? What has changed? And on a personal level, what lessons have you learned in this last year or so vis-a-vis the work of CRS? Are there any things uh, that we have done that perhaps are going to be a permanent structure of CRS going forward? Uh, Certainly the world's changed. So how have you managed, which I know you've done a a phenomenal job, but but explain to our listeners, how how have you done this in in a pandemic situation? It's a it's a great question, Bishop, and and I think uh, you know a lot of it. Uh, we, we we have to give uh, credit to the Holy Spirit because I think all of us, when we left our offices, uh, you know, on March 13th last year, um, I thought it was just going to be for a week or so, and I'd be back in that office and I'd be back traveling because I uh, normally would travel overseas for two weeks uh, every month, and since the pandemic, I haven't been overseas at all. But the one thing I, I, I want to make sure that uh, that your listeners understand is, although uh, we've had new arrangements and we've had to pivot, the incredible thing is that the church did not close during this pandemic. And then mm-hmm. the response of the church to the needs of the people uh, might have even grown during this pandemic. And we're seeing around the world uh, that that actually the need is increasing. And so what we did at CRS was, um, we jumped on to, to the virtual nature and made sure that we had daily check-ins um, and actual daily meetings at, at 7, 8 o'clock in the morning and then with our overseas teams, sometimes even earlier that, so that we could keep everyone connected. We would then um, make sure that everything we did respected uh, the most uh, important protocols to keep all of our colleagues safe. And then in many countries around the world, Although in the United States, we were able to be more virtual and so trying to connect with our supporters, uh, with parishioners and others, we did a lot of new innovative virtual events. Overseas, um, we tried to use radios and other mechanisms, but many of uh, the people with whom we we worked um, couldn't go virtual. And so our staff had to go out there with the proper protocols. Um, but changing our procedures in some ways. So instead of uh, schools that might have a daily meal, but schools were closed, we would do monthly deliveries uh, and we would keep people separate so that 
we'd have circles on the ground and they'd walk from one circle uh, to the next. Mm -hmm. We kept people masked and people followed the, those traditions. So our teams on the ground uh, continued working because many of them said, you know, it's more likely uh, that the communities we're going to be working with uh, will die of hunger than they will die of COVID. Right. And so right. we need to make right. sure that we are there. And so, mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. those efforts uh, continued in countries where there was violence. You know, our team, you know, maintained that solidarity that was there. And we have had some colleagues who have traveled from the United States, but when they do travel, they must hunker down for uh, a quarantine period of time when they arrive in the countries. Mm -hmm so that they make sure that they're not carrying everything and it would keep people safe. Um, and in addition to that, we're advocating for uh, treatments, uh, therapeutics and vaccines uh, to be uh, equitably accessed around the world. And, and the Holy Father ha has called for that. Um, and we're working to prepare the local church um, and even ministries of health and local governments. Uh, once these vaccines are available, uh, we're working to assist them in how to distribute them because we've had some mm -hmm. experience with supply chains for distributing mosquito nets or uh, food deliveries or other things like that. And our community health network um, is continuing to, to reach out to, to women and children because as you might imagine, mm -hmm. during this time, many people have not gone for their normal health checkups. And so we're, we're having more and more children not having their measles vaccinations or taking their polio mm -hmm. medication or women not having pre and postnatal care. And so we're afraid that this coming year and the next, we may see some spikes um, in other infirmities uh, given the pandemic. And so we're trying to reach out as much as we can. So although I'm operating from my basement in my house um, and go to the mm -hmm. office uh, on occasion when I need to meet with people, I have my general counsel come into my driveway and we sign off on all the important documents in the back of his oh, little yeah, Subaru sure. Father car. Of course. Father exactly. Robert, <laughs> my Franciscan <laughs> colleague who lives uh, just a couple miles away, he comes over and we discuss our things and sign it both masked up in my driveway. So uh, we're doing innovative things. But I, th I think uh, the message to take away is, is the church didn't close. It's still as vibrant as ever out there. And we're just happy that we can be part of that effort. You know, you, you used a very interesting phrase before when we began our conversation, uh, shadow pandemics and the, the, the unintended but real consequences, particularly in the developing world, of having such a, a, a cataclysmic event occur, such as COVID-19. And you mentioned food insecurity. But but there are others. Right. And you just alluded to another. The fact that as is true in the United States, it is also true in other parts of the world with perhaps greater consequence that just normal inoculations or the ability to make sure that people uh, attend to their health needs, that that gets deferred. But what other unintended consequences from CRS's point of view? What other shadows from the pandemic, Sean, do you see now as we're entering really at the beginning of year two of this pandemic? You know, Bishop, it's a great question. And there's, there's probably, in, in addition to those uh, health consequences uh, and, and the consequences uh, of hunger, um, we see a couple other things that, that are happening. One is, uh, as, as has happened in the, in the United States, um, schools have not been able to remain open. And unfortunately, many homes cannot be virtual. And so 
we have lost uh, you know, a year of education in many of the countries in which we've been in. But even more devastating uh, than that is that we're seeing the likelihood that young girls will likely not go back to school after they've been taken out. Some of them uh, have had to work in the home and the family, uh, and so they have been seen as an important uh, worker in the family. And so um, it's been reducing girls' education. So we're particularly concerned about that and trying to emphasize um, through some of our advocacy mechanisms, the local church and uh, radio stations, the importance of girls getting education. The the other uh, thing that we've seen is unfortunately uh, with people hunkered down at home and the pressures of, of the pandemic and, and the shadow pandemics, uh, that there's unfortunately been an increase in domestic violence in many places. And we've seen, um, mm. you know, I, I had a, a couple really heartbreaking stories from some of our, our staff in, in the countries that they live in on young children uh, being subject to violence in the home or in the community because of of people feeling the pressure from this. And so we're trying to see, you know, where we can assist in, in that realm. And, and then thirdly, um, some countries have taken the opportunity uh, to be less uh, democratic and less open to either yeah. religious organizations um, or civil society in general. And uh, they put in some restrictions that may be longer lasting than we hope. So we're hoping uh, that we can raise visibility that these might have been good things uh, to prevent the COVID-19 pandemic and, you know, the consequences of Ebola and things at other times. But we need to go back to some of the democratic institutions, um, the, the freedom of religion, the freedom of movement, the freedom of, of speech that people had uh, so that that this pandemic is not used as an excuse to, to stifle uh, people's independence. Yeah which would be a terrible long-lasting consequence to this pandemic if that were the case, right? It you know, certainly would. Um, again, our listeners may or may not know this. Uh, I would encourage them to go on the website of CRS and really take a deep dive into the long-term strategic plan that was put together for CRS. And um, why don't you speak to that Vision 2030 initiative that CRS has has. Um, has put forward as the long-term vision, at least long-term for the next decade or so. Yes, you know, CRS, uh, instead of like many organizations, you know, as, as this technology per, uh, period came in, um, a, a lot of organizations decided they were gonna go to a one to three year strategy because things were changing so fast. And at CRS, we decided we were gonna go actually the opposite direction. And we developed a 12-year strategy. So our strategy goes to 2030. And it, it had four um, main goals uh, and uh, main approaches, excuse me, that, that we were taking. Uh, one of them was to, to catalyze uh, humanitarian and development outcomes to scale. And so what that means is we had been helping people around the world, but we wanted to use what we call an influence agenda to assist more and more people. And so what we're doing is we're investing uh, in the local partners that we have on the ground and allowing uh, their story to be told and then influencing others. And what I mean by that is if we do an agricultural program in a community and the farmers in this water catchment area um, do some terracing and do some water conservation activities, 
their neighbors on the hills on the other side of the valley start looking over and saying, wow, why is it green over there and we you know, can't produce any fruit? And so what we're doing is uh, assisting people in spreading that word and influencing others. And then we're also uh, doing that so that we can influence uh, governments and that governments will invest more in their people because they'll see that it makes sense. So we're often working now within those local communities with local mayors uh, who are dependent on the local farmers in many of these cases for, for their votes. And then the group of mayors goes up to the Capitol and starts telling the government where to go. And so we are actually having a change at a much larger scale than we have ever had before. Uh, and in one of the most important areas that we're focusing on is livelihoods. And so it's primarily agriculture, but there's also small businesses and small business loans that we do uh, in this strategy to help people move forward. In addition uh, to the livelihoods, uh, as many people know, people in the world have been displaced at record numbers, and there's over 80 million people that are not in their homes due to war, due to economic conditions, due to drought. Um, and, and so the Catholic Church has provided assistance. And the first thing the church uh, we try to do, for instance, in these livelihoods and employment generating programs, is allow people not to have to migrate. The church would like to have the people be able to stay where they are, to earn a good income, to be able to put their kids in school uh, and let them have health care where they are. If, if that is not possible because there's a violent situation or there's some type of exploitation there, then the church assists people in moving to different areas. And so what we have been doing, and particularly as the result of, of large um, disasters that have occurred, but, but also some violent, uh, violence in various countries, um, we're helping people build homes and communities. And uh, instead of the old shelters that we would put up for a short period of time, we're finding that many people who are displaced uh, are displaced for 15, 17, 21 years. And so building that homes and communities helps then protect the family, protect the community in general, and have a normalcy so that uh, the youth and the young people can go grow up uh, in an area that's somewhat more normal than it would be, you know, if they were just in a camp. And so one, the third key area besides livelihoods in this homes and communities is reaching out and empowering youth so that they can thrive. Mm -hmm. and, and the other way we, we've done that with youth is allowing them to participate uh, in the agricultural works or even the COVID response and having them go out there and go door to door and explain to people where that goes, it gives them a sense of where they are. Uh, and, and then our two other goal areas are, um, is the family, uh, making sure there's full health and development in safe and nurturing families and then peaceful societies. So we try to work with the church wherever we are on strengthening that social fabric, fabric of the family um, and, and bringing communities together. So right, right. those are the, the key areas in which we work. You know, it, 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 the very fact that you had mentioned that one of the one of the strategic goals is empowering youth um, resonates deeply in me. You and I have had these conversations offline, Sean, and we're of like mind that everything you have described is like a hidden jewel in the American Catholic Church that most people, most Catholics, even observing Catholics, do not really understand. Please, God, now after this podcast, they will understand better. 
the phenomenal work that's done and what a difference it is making all in the name of the Lord. It's not just to do good for good's sake. It's due because it's a mission of the gospel. And therefore, we're of agreement, I think, that this is this could be the door to engage our young adults in this country who may be uncomfortable, even to the point of disaffected from the church because of what they know of it. When they learn about CRS and the good that's being done and the ways they could be of help, it engages them. It brings them into, into a relationship with the church that they would never have imagined before. Right? And that's the entree to a dialogue with them, accompanying them to ever greater involvement in the church. So I think, you know, from, and I've been with CRS now just about, about a year and a half, whatever, a little bit less than a year and a half. And I appreciate your presence here because the more word we can get out about CRS, the more there is the possibility to, to not just ask help from all Catholics, but particularly young adults to get them involved in the work of CRS because it will transform their lives. Would you agree? I, I would definitely agree. I think it's crucially important. One, they can be part of the gospel in action and they can see themselves making a difference. The other thing that, that I think they would find very interesting is, for instance, on the continent of Africa, 70% of the population is, is below age 25. Uh, in other places where we, where we work, 60% of the population is below age 25. So it is really their uh, sisters and brothers around the world, their fellow mm -hmm. colleagues mm -hmm. around the world who are going to be the leaders of those countries and who we need to make sure uh, that we're assisting right now so that they have the opportunities to make a difference. And I think those people would really love to feel that solidarity of the youth from the United States uh, with them on this journey. And, and I think uh, the U.S. Uh, youth could also learn a lot from these people on the perseverance and fortitude that they've had on overcoming a lot of obstacles, you know, where they are, um, but also the, just the joy with which they do it and their sense of solidarity around the world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What a tremendous point. Tremendous. This has been a great conversation, Sean. You know, I, I am so grateful that you made the time to, I know you're a very busy man, but to make the time to, to join the podcast um, gives a glimpse of the, of the wonderful time I have working with you privately. Now everyone has had a glimpse of what CRS is really all about. It's, it's just been extremely, extremely fruitful, right? Well, thank, well, thank you, thank for you, taking Bishop. The time Bishop, to be here, Sean. Thank, thank you. And I, and I would just, uh, you know, we say at CRS, it's a team effort. And although we are able to be the the hands and the feet on the ground, it really is the American Catholic Church, uh, the bishops, the Catholic community here, who provide us the support and inspiration to make it happen. So, the more we can all work together for this, uh, the stronger the church will be here in the United States and the stronger the unity will be around the world. So thank you very much. I appreciate it. You're very welcome. And I'll see you Tuesday for our meeting. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> We're gonna, we need to take one quick break right now, um, uh, Sean and Your Excellency. Uh, but this is Let Me Be Frank on the Veritas Catholic Network. Bishop Caggiano has been speaking with Sean Callahan, the President and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. We will be right back. Why do we need Catholic Radio? Because not everybody is sitting in front of a computer or watching their television set at home. How about when driving to work? 
How about while at work at your desk? Catholic Radio is there for you. I may be a Catholic priest, but I'm still a student of the faith. And Catholic Radio helps supply good material, whether it be a question and answer format show, whether it be a show itself on doctrine or theology. I myself, as a priest, am always learning. All right, welcome back to Let Me Be Frank with Bishop Frank Caggiano. His Excellency has been speaking today with Sean Callahan, the President and CEO of Catholic Relief Services. Uh, We've come to the part of the show where um, we've got a listener question for uh, the bishop. Um, Bishop, this week's question, it was emailed in from Sylvia from Newtown. She said, it says in Revelation 21.4, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes And there shall be no more death or mourning, wailing or pain, for the old order has passed away. My question is, if our loved ones are not in heaven with us, how can we not mourn them and all the others who are in hell? Uh, Now, that is an excellent question for which I think there is only from our perspective, from our earthly perspective, um, our ability to perhaps to uh, to speculate because um, it is very hard for us to imagine a life that is perfectly in love with he who is love, which is what heaven is. And it seems from our perspective that if we do not have loved ones with us in heaven, that we would mourn their 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 absence when we are in heaven. But the truth of the matter is, when we are in heaven, we are enveloped, enwrapped, enthralled with love in its purity, in its completeness. And therefore, um, may seem contradictory from our perspective, um, when you have the prize, then the that is what your focus is. In heaven, our focus is on the beatific vision, on God, not on each other. We are aware of each other, but we are not focusing on each other. It's almost as if we are all looking in the same direction, and that direction envelops our life. So I honestly do not know the answer to that question from our perspective as to will we be aware of their absence, but my hunch is we will not because our focus will be totally and completely on the Lord and his loving presence there. But it's a great question. Well, when we get there, the goal is to get to heaven and find out. That's the goal. <laughs> God willing. <laughs> right. <laughs> so if you're listening and you have a question for Bishop Frank Caggiano, send them in. You can email questions at veritascatholic.com or you can post them on social media. Bishop Frank Caggiano is on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and so is Veritas Catholic Network. Sean Callahan, President and CEO of Catholic Relief Services, you guys are doing phenomenal work. Thank you so much for joining us this week. Thank you, Steve. I I appreciate uh, joining you and the the bishop, and I I just hope the the listeners all uh, continue to support the church's efforts around the world, and they can jump in and do that during Lent uh, with the CRS Rice Bowl. So thank you very much. And, and you guys are on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and you would point uh, listeners to www.crs.org. Is that correct? That's correct. Thank you, Steve. Yep. Yeah. Ex- Excellency, would you please give us your blessing? Yes. Absolutely. In the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he shine his face upon you and be merciful to you. 
May the Lord in his great kindness grant you his peace. And we ask your, the Lord's blessings upon our listeners, ourselves, and all of the wonderful people who work at CRS in service of their sisters and brothers throughout the world. We ask this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 I'll see you next week, Steve. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Thanks, Sean. Sean, God bless. Take care. Thank you.